Welcome back to Commission Impossible. It's the second one in a week. You didn't get us for like the whole off season and now you get two in a week. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, man. Glad to be back as always. We're going to talk some commission stuff and uh, this is this is a milestone tonight, Scott. We have our first guest. Yeah, and and we may never have another guest. That that's not an indictment on our guest tonight. It's just uh, we never planned on having guests, but this man was impossible to deny. He's got some expertise in some things that commissioners probably want to hear about, or you might consider doing for your leagues. So our guest tonight is Nathan Powell. Feels like I've done three shows with him this week. How you doing, Nathan? I am I am awesome, Scott. I wouldn't consider it an indictment if I'm the only guest ever. I would consider that an honor that like no one else is nearly good enough at this in order for me to get the guest spot. I am very happy to be on, and I love talking commission stuff. So one of my favorite pods to listen to. So happy to be part of it. That's great. It's good to have you on here. You you run several best ball dynasty leagues, and we've had the question about potential points several times into our mailbag, and every time we just kind of skip over it and we're like. Let's talk to Nathan about it because he has a, he has a very strong viewpoint. Is that where you want to start tonight, Ryan? With potential points, let's answer that question for all the people out there that keep asking. Yeah, I think so. And uh, when I think potential points, I think about Nathan because he hates them so much. Uh, and I don't know. I, I guess I want to hear why. Yeah, Nathan, why don't you just start telling us why you don't like to use potential points? The question usually comes in: Do you recommend potential points? to be used to determine rookie draft order. That's the main one. I think there's also a thing for playoffs, but tell us what you don't like about potential points. Okay, so my biggest thing against potential points is that when we're talking about a, a team and you're building a team and uh, how you are you know, competing for the playoffs, your points that are being scored on the bench never matter. So it, let, let's say you have Deshaun Jackson and he's on your bench that week. That has no impact on whether you're making the playoffs, how far you're going in the playoffs. But it, when, it, when it comes to potential points, the player on your bench can end up hurting you in two ways. You can, A, not get the victory because you started the wrong guy. And, B, you are getting hurt in the potential points battle because just the guy that on your bench ended up having a, a huge week and that ended up contributing you towards getting a, a worse draft pick in, in the rookie draft. So I, I think that the biggest thing that it does is it, it penalizes depth. Um, when, when you're trying to do a rebuild, it's not like people say, okay, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to go out and buy Odell Beckham Jr. I'm going to go out and buy uh, eight Mike Evans. Most rebuilds are done by selling those type of guys and getting a haul of three, four, or five players. And when you do that, your bench ends up being stronger. So I'm not saying that your potential points are going to end up being better than a playoff team, but traditionally when you're rebuilding, your bench is probably going to be better than a lot of the playoff benches because the, the people that are playoff teams are like, okay, let me try and condense my roster and try and get these three or four bench players that are producing. Let's try and turn those players into maybe one quality starter. So I, I think that basically it penalizes rebuilders for having a good bench. And, and some will say, oh, well, I don't want the worst lineup to have the top draft pick. I want the worst team to. And I, I, I just think that doesn't make sense. I think that if we don't care about the benches when it's winning, we shouldn't care about benches when it's losing. And I think a, a thing along with that is when you do make those trades for OBJ for a, a pile, you will generally get guys and just going off of what's going on today, I'll throw these names out there. You will get guys like Kenny Galladay or Paul Richardson and, and a couple other pieces and those guys may not be starter caliber. They not may not be weekly producers, 
but they're going to have flash games and those flash games are what go into potential points and they are hurting your draft pick when when in reality you can't consistently start them you're not a great team yet you just have some some players that will flash on certain weeks and that hurts your ranking for that for that draft position so nathan i guess uh- Well, first of all, you know, to be transparent, I guess I've never played with potential points in any league I commish. So I don't consider myself the expert that you are. But when I think about potential points, I think of it as basically an anti-tanking rule. So if that's the case, what would be your alternative to encourage people or I guess prevent people from tanking? I've always said that the number one way to, to stop tanking isn't potential points. It's getting good owners, and uh, this is something that people will say. Oh well, Nathan, you have you know five thousand Twitter followers. You have all these connections that you can easily find people to fill your leagues, and maybe other people are more you know scouring the DLF forums, and you're kind of getting strangers. And it's harder to say, oh, is this guy going to be a good owner? You know, from Jump Street. So I, I, I do recognize that it's a little bit easier for guys like us to find good owners, but I do think that the you know the the best way to do it is you got to find good owners that aren't going to tank. And I, I think that it, it gets overlooked that people are going to make lineup mistakes and they're going to have better players on their bench if they are trying to win. So it's not like you're saying, oh, Johnny played this guy instead of this guy, and then the other guy got in the playoffs because of it. Well, that could have happened if the guy was trying to win. So I, I think that, you know, the other the other big part of it is that uh, tanking, it's it's one of those things that if you see it, you you, you know what it is. So, you know, benching Drew Brees for uh, Alex Smith, okay, that's tanking. And so then you approach the guy and say, hey, what was your thought process here? And if he gives a legitimate reason, oh, I I don't like Drew Brees on the road or whatever it may be, I mean, maybe you talk through it. But for the most part, if a guy gets caught tanking, I think they're going to admit it or like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And so the other big thing is that just like one one thing about this is that if a guy ends up tanking, I'm going to weed him out of my league. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, kick him out. I'm going to find a new owner for the next, for the next season. And so this is just one way of saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I don't, uh, a in the recruiting process of guys, I'm going to try and recruit good owners and B during the season. If I see tanking happening, I'm going to be like, Oh, okay. This guy needs to be replaced. And uh, this isn't really something I've ever had to do because I've never really had a tanking issue in my leagues. But if it were to happen where I saw obvious tanking, I'd be like, okay, you're done. I'm going to I need to go to Twitter and find a new owner. Nathan, let, let's take a step back here for just a second. I just want to be sure I understand, again, the, the general setup when it comes to potential points. Is that being you when it's used in a league, is it being used to determine draft order for all teams, or is it more of a rule that affects only the non-playoff teams? Generally, it, it is a rule that's only for non-playoff teams. So uh, w- when we talk about playoff team draft order, it's traditionally – okay, you look at, you know, who was eliminated in the first round, and then you look at regular season records. So if it, uh, the, you know, team team A is eliminated in the first round, went, you know, seven and six, team B went six and seven, then there's the 106 or 107 and 108 respectively. But potential points when it's used is used uh, purely as a non-playoff team organizer. So it's, it's more of a draft order rule rather than a playoff yes uh, yeah. and that, that, that's part that's part of my issue is that uh I, I think that if we're using something to determine playoff order it should be the same to be so i mean if you want to do a best ball league which is basically potential that's what people make fun of me about is that potential points and best ball are the same thing because you know your your, be, your best ball score is the same as your potential point score but yeah i love best ball and i hate potential points but basically potential points is to 
ensure that the guy can't tank for the 101 uh, using the lesser lineup. So in your ideal world, how would you set up the rookie draft? Just by points four, uh, or would you go worst record, then points four as the tiebreaker, and then the playoff teams in order that you just, just said a few minutes ago? So if if you have if you use all play or if you use uh, victory points or if you just record whatever you use to decide your playoffs should be the same that you, that you use to decide your rookie draft. Okay, so you just want consistency. That makes sense. So how do you, how do you feel about all play and victory points? Well, as far as all play, I, I think that that is the absolute best way to decide. Okay, who has had the best team over the over the thirteen weeks of the regular season? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the argument against all play is that tradition, you, you go back to old school fantasy football when you were growing up, when when you first started playing fantasy football, you know, you had the one you, the one guy against you. And I think this is more of a thing when, when you end up only having one or two fantasy leagues. You're like, oh, did I win my fantasy league matchup this week? Right. And when you're in 21 different leagues, you're not saying, oh, did I win my fantasy matchup this week? Because you had 21 of them. Or in all play – in one single league, you had 11 matchups. So, I mean, it makes sense in terms of, you know, if you want to reward the best players in the regular season, but in terms of a mindset, in terms of just what people are familiar with, all play is more of a just, maybe the best way to uh, determine who's the best, but it might not be the most right. fun way to do it. Yeah, I, this is, and Safe Leagues uses all play to decide its playoff seedings, which I don't understand why a schedule even matters in an all play league. Like each game you play, like when you're playing against a certain opponent, why would anyone care if they win or lose? It's pretty much how I feel when I see an all-play league. I And you're kind of going down that road, Nathan, but it just, I don't get it. So I definitely agree with you on that. I Personally, I am old school. <laughs> I go I go win-loss record, uh, points is tiebreaker, tie and then how are you finishing the playoffs? I am... Maybe I, maybe it's because I've been playing since 92 or maybe because I like no matter what league, even if I, I have eight leagues, I just like that those wins and losses matter, you know, each week. I like feeling like they matter. So I think that's why I do that. Uh, you were talking about victory points as well. I am a fan of victory points because there's nothing more frustrating than being the guy that had the second highest scoring week and then you end up your opponent ended up being the first, so it ended up being a lost week for you. You went right. 0-1 in the week. Whereas with victory points, you know, you, you get the half, you know, the, the one point or however your victory points end up working. But I, I, I like that it, you know, decreases the luck factor of a, a straight head-to-head league. Uh, but also – it's basically a cross between all play and uh, head to head without, you know, making it more complicated where you're actually facing everyone every week. Right. Right. And I know there are a lot of proponents of victory points. I believe Ryan uses them in several leagues. I am not a fan of victory points. I've been on that rant many, many times, so I'm not really going to jump into it here, but uh, I guess, I mean, I do see the merit and I do see how it's, uh, it's like you said, a cross between like, it's, it's a middle ground. It's definitely a good format. I think my biggest problem with victory points is people who think it's the best you could possibly do. And I just completely disagree with that. Well, I will say that I do use victory points in the kitchen sink leagues. And I guess when I started those, I was really just looking for something a, a little bit different kind of tried to do that with every aspect of that league and victory points was something that uh, I had not used very, very often. And uh, it's worked well. I I would agree uh, with Nathan. It it is kind of a cross 
between those. And, and Scott, I would also agree with you. I, I, I'm not going to try to say victory points is, you know, the only way to go. It's worked well for our leagues and, and I'm enjoying it. I, I think it, I think the results are good and that it ends up the majority of the time with, with the best teams advancing. Right. Um, but and- just, I, just like all the other formats we've talked about, there's there's many ways to play and, and no real one perfect way. And we've said this many times on here. If your league enjoys it, that's what you should use, whether it's victory points or all play or even to Nathan's chagrin, potential <laughs> points. But Nathan, you are a guru of best ball dynasty leagues. In fact, just I believe it was this morning, I uh, shot you some messages asking you for some advice on best ball dynasty commissioning tips. So what got you into wanting to do best ball dynasty instead of, you know, your regular old set your lineups, do do waivers in season type of dynasty leagues? What, what set you on that path? What set me on that path, and this is a plug for our DLF uh, brethren, is the DLF forums. Uh, I found uh, Brian Malone, uh, who now writes for Rotoviz and DLF. I found him on the DLF forums talking about a league that he was going to create. It was called Slacker Dynasty, which is a best ball league. And it was one of those things that the MFL 10 uh, craze was just, you know, just kicking into gear. I probably had played MFL 10s for like one year. And I mean, I, I like MFL 10s. I like redraft, but I really, you know, haven't gotten too big into those because it doesn't have the same appeal as dynasty for me. But anyways, I was really excited. I was like, this combines two things I love, you know, the MFL 10s, the non-in-season management and dynasty. So um, I joined a league, that league with Brian Malone, and I fell in love instantly. And that, that has honestly kind of launch, sort of launched my commissioner. I, I commission on best ball leagues, but I think that the best ball ended up, you know, starting my love for commissioning leagues. Yeah, pretty much uh, that, that Brian Malone league called Slacker Dynasty got me truly into it. I have an article on DLF about that. But in terms of, you know, how, how my obsession has grown with best ball dynasty leagues, the things that I love about it are in season and you can set it up a number of ways, but I like having no in season management, whether it be trades or waivers, because there's another a number of things that go into that. We're all in way too many leagues, whether right. it's, you know, six, seven, eight, 21, having no in season management has an appeal because it's a set it and forget it at the end of August. You're like, Oh, I don't have to worry about this league until January. Other than, you know, occasionally checking in on the standings. Yeah, and, there, and there's also, you know, components of just general strategy that you can implement with, with Dynasty strategy as it compares to, you know, waivers. So in a normal, you know, 12-team Dynasty League, maybe even one quarterback Dynasty League, you can find quarterbacks and tight ends every, you know, week on the waiver wire. You know, guys you can plug and play to get you, you know, 6 to 8 points at tight end or, you know, uh, 12 to 14 points at quarterback. But you can't really play that strategy in a best ball dynasty league. So it increases the value of the onesie positions just by the fact that you can't stream the positions. I, I definitely like that aspect of it. I mean, you can stream it by the fact that in best ball, you are allowed to, you know, have, let's say, I, let's say I have three quarterbacks, then, you know, the best two scores from those quarterbacks are going to end up being the score. So mm-hmm. in that, in that way, it does that. So, I mean, there's just other things that, that come into it. And it's just, I mean, I, I was talking to you about this this morning, Scott. Uh, I was saying, you know, I, I just love the the fact that, you know, in Dynasty, in traditional Dynasty, you have you have this ever-changing thing where, you know, in week two, you can think you're a championship contender. And then by week eight, you have injuries, suspensions, and you're, you know, you're not a playoff team. And then you can adjust, you can sell all your assets for later. And there, there's some appeal to that. But also, I, I like, I just like the aspect of, okay, you need to know where you are in August, and that's going to be your decision for the whole for the whole season. Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of that too. I, that's why I was that's why I was messaging you this morning. I kind of want to start uh, a new best ball dynasty because that's it, it takes a strategy that I think a lot of people are realizing with MFL tens, but it takes a, a different level of strategy. But 
the the dynasty angle of it is just so intriguing. I encourage people to to give that a try. Ryan, do you have a question? I guess I was just thinking about the times I've tried best ball dynasty leagues and Nathan, they were similar to what you're describing with, with no in season management, just similar to the MFL 10 setup. And I I just found myself losing interest altogether in those, in that league. Um, I wouldn't really even check weekly to see how I had finished after a while. And then when the off season did roll around and waivers and, uh, trades and things like that opened up it seemed like everybody was kind of in the same boat that they just didn't really care much about that league have have you seen other examples of that where the best ball format maybe stifles activity i haven't uh, traditionally found that it, this is actually something that we've talked about before how a, as the years go on and nicely traditionally the the amount of trades going on definitely decrease just because mm-hmm. owners get to know each other owners you know join more leagues and I think that, if anything, that's part of it. But that happens with both regular and best ball leagues. But I think that the important part with best ball leagues is that you you do have to have active owners that are willing to do trade negotiations throughout the offseason because if there aren't trades going on in your best ball league, it, you know, it, it really isn't any fun outside of maybe, you know, during the rookie draft. So it definitely takes active owners, guys that are going to, you know, seek out trades throughout the offseason. I'm not saying there has to be 100 trades in one offseason in order for it to be a, a good functioning league, but it needs to be a situation where, you know, if an orphan comes in, they can't just be like not able to compete because they can't get trades done. That touches on something that's true of every single league is the owners. I mean, if you get a group of owners where half of them don't want to trade and half of them feel that, I know that Ryan mentioned feeling that way. I know that uh, a good friend of all of ours, Ty Miller, same deal. He, uh, he just can't play and he even quit the King of the Hill leagues because he's just like, I can't do best ball, man. I can't do MFL 10s. I just don't care about it in season. And and people have that mentality. So I think it does take a mentality. You do need someone who is fine with just sitting back and letting the season roll without any activity. I think that there are ways as a commissioner to dangle carrots to make uh, people be a little more active. So Nathan, with with inactivity like that, if you do have owners like that or... If, if you get that sense of feeling, is there anything you would do as a commissioner to possibly, you know, create a little activity? I think the best way to do it is to create tradable assets. So in my best ball leagues, there are two waiver periods per per year. And it is January at the, at the end of the uh, regular season. And then it is August right before the uh, regular season starts. So with those two waiver periods, if you make blind betting money tradable, you know, people are going to be trading for that blind betting money, hoping that they're able to, you know, snag this year's Cam Meredith in January or possibly snag this year's Kenny Galladay in August. So I I think that, you know, the the more things that you make tradable, the more trades that happen. So if if you do that with allowing the trading of blind bid dollars and you know in a traditional league blind bid dollars aren't really worth anything but if they're only two waiver waiver periods per year they definitely become exponentially more valuable and then the, the other part of it is i have two rookie draft phases i have the rookie there's a five round rookie draft immediately after uh, the, the nfl draft you know whether it's a week after two weeks after uh and then there's the second phase round six to ten which are usually pretty barren but th- this this phase ends up happening, you know, in the middle of August, and this is during that uh, time where all these uh, training camp guys are getting all of the hype, and so it allows you to a trade for those picks right before that draft, or b trade for the players that end up being, you know, this year's hype monsters uh, in those rounds six to ten. So 
um, you know, creating things that people can trade for is always a good thing in a way to increase activity. I, I think you're 100% right. I like that you can trade the, the blind bidding dollars. I think blind bidding dollars should be tradable in every league. It's just the perfect way to add an extra asset. If you're listening and you have a league that does blind bidding waivers, make those waivers, tr- that waiver money tradable. It's it's just a little extra that you, <laughs> you can uh, possibly increase some activity. And that goes for any league, not just best ball dynasty leagues. Okay. The rookie draft, you do a typical snake in, in your best ball dynasties, correct? Right. Would you recommend auctions? Uh, I don't know if it matters. Uh, I mean, obviously, we love auction leagues. Right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that – I mean, I've never tried an auction best ball league, but I don't think that it really changes much. Okay. Yeah, you would need to set up a, you know, a way to do the rookie money – both Ryan and I have, we both have sets of rookie auction money that if you tweet us on Twitter, we will give you links to, and you can check those out if you're looking at doing a rookie auction. I believe we've said that before. So Nathan, are you running any uh, any more best ball dynasty leagues this off season? You going to start any new ones up? I, I, I kind of put the feelers out there. I think it was like, uh, a weekend or two ago, I was like, you know, you know, because everyone has like their their dynasty leagues that they run that they do their startups in February, March, April, and then for some reason every year I get like the August itch where it's like, well, right. could I could I sneak one more startup in? And I kind of put the feelers out, and no one was really biting, and I'm glad no one bit because I probably would have ended up doing it. Um, we this was the first year I didn't do an MFL ten that never ends in the last three years. I I did never ends uh, one two years ago, never ends two last year, and I had people asking me to do never ends three, but I, I ended up actually doing a different league, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, the league with no name, which is a league that exclusively does auctions uh, through. Uh, either NFL divisions or uh, college conferences. So uh, that was my option to do rather than a best ball league this year. You know, that that league is interesting. I will say I also put the feelers out, and that's what led me to have the conversation with you because I think I have a pretty good idea, and I, I think I want to talk to you, both of you guys about that. But what, why don't we touch on that other league? We got you here. Let's touch on that other league because it's, it's very interesting. It's very unique, and maybe someone can take – something from that for their leagues. Ryan, do you want to say anything? I feel like Nathan and I are monopolizing this. No, I'm just taking notes. I'm interested to hear uh, more about this league. I've Nathan and I have talked about it a little bit, and honestly, it, it just kind of confuses me. Capitalist pigs, I, I, I grasp, and kitchen sink, uh, of course I, I get that one, but this league with no name, I, I have questions. Yeah, see, I, I think I, I think I've been talking to Nathan about that. He he first told me about it like two years ago, so I, I feel like I have a good understanding of it now. But uh, yeah, Nathan, why don't you take it away? Why don't you tell the listeners about this league? All right, so the idea for this league kind of came about how like someone, you know, either I or, you know, a Twitter follower would put, oh, just imagine if you had Odell Beckham Jr., Des Bryant, and Ezekiel Elliott on a dynasty team. Like, how awesome would that be? You know, and you basically own the NFC East. And so, you know, just trying to formulate things together, how can I incorporate that into an actual sized league? I'm like, oh, well, I could have the NFL divisions and I could have the college conferences. So there's eight NFL divisions. And so you can't have an eight team league. And then you have five, the big five college conferences. And then one, which represents the field, which would be, you know, getting uh, Corey Davis from Western Michigan, T Y Hilton from FIU. So anyways, uh, with the format in the startup, 
at first I was thinking, okay, let's do a snake. This would be really easy. It'll be 48 individual drafts, you know, NFC East drafting against SEC, NFC East drafting against Big Ten. But when I was going through that, it was heavily favoring whoever had the first pick in each draft. So That makes sense, yeah. So I was like, okay, we can't do that. Let's go to the auction format to where if you're going to spend, you know, 25% of your budget on OBJ, that's going to hurt you either way. So – uh, the way it ended up, ended up being was a 14-team league, and we had a draft division conference draft to where uh, in the one thing that kind of was, you know, I, I didn't really find a good solution to, there's obviously there's NFL divisions or college conferences that are better than the others. So there wasn't exactly a fair way to go about the, you know, deciding the draft order for the division draft other than just doing a randomizer on, you know, a search engine. And that's what we ended up doing. And so, you know, everyone drafted their, their divisions and conferences. And when the startup took place, basically what it was is, let, let's say you are the SEC. You are bidding on all the SEC players and only the SEC players. And so if we're talking about Odell Beckham Jr., you're the SEC bidding against the NFC East only. If you're the, if you're the NFC North, you cannot bid on uh, Odell Beckham. If you're the Big 12, you can't bid on Odell Beckham. So it's basically uh, every single player is a two-person battle auction into where – so, I mean, one of the intriguing things that ended up coming out of it was, like, the, the, the more stacked divisions or conferences like the SEC, like, he, he was like, oh, it's exciting to have all these options, all these great players to bid on. But he also didn't want to spend all his money early on and then end up, you know, one of the last, like, good players, like Todd Gurley was on the board, like, with two days left in the auction. If he had spent all his money, Todd Gurley ends up going for cheap to the NFC West. So uh, there were a lot of different strategy things that went into it, but I, I thought it was a very fun auction to have basically just – it's mano a mano, you versus one other person on every single player. Yeah, that would that would that would be interesting. It almost like a a one versus one dispersal auction. Only you only get to choose one one college conference and one NFL uh, division. So with with a league like this, and this is just a tip for all commissioners, if you're going to create a league that that is this unique. I think it's imperative not only to have that best interest clause that we've talked about so many times, but you kind of got to tell your owners there are going to be a few road bumps and I'm going to have to make unilateral decisions to fix the road bumps. Did you have some of that, Nathan? Yes, absolutely. There, there were things that came up during the auction, like what were we going to do with Freedons, guys that were not currently uh, employed, like um, guys like Marshawn Lynch that what, hadn't signed with the Raiders yet. So uh, he would my, only be packed. He would only be the pack twelve or pack ten or whatever. Well, the, well, the way we did it, so we didn't want pack to just 12. have the pack twelve, right, right. Uh, just nominate Marshawn Lynch and get him for a dollar. The the rule we made that any any free agents um, were just put into the rookie auction, the rookie free okay. agent auction it would turn into. And then the other rule uh, that, that came into question, and this was you know, uh, fortunately, I really only had the problem with like two players, uh, or I mean, really only one. Uh, the the question was uh, who with the college affiliation who, what does the affiliation go to so uh, in the rules I put it was the last the last college you played for so the question with Doriel Green Beckham was he had one season at Oklahoma but he never played for them so I, <laughs> I, I, I had it set up to where I mean the, the, my final ruling was they had to have suited up in order for it to count so he ended up being uh, to the credit of the SEC. Yeah, that is interesting. But I suppose if the by the letter of your rule, if you if you had said last team they played for, it would have to be Missouri. I mean, that's that would be a yeah. It's I see how it's a, a sticky wicket or whatever. But yeah, I, I like your ruling on that one. Nathan, what did you do about teams like Missouri and 
Texas A&M and, and so many others that have changed conferences recently? Did you just go by the current setup, even if the player might have played in the Big 12? Right. The, the rule was uh, where the, the college currently is. So let's say uh, Notre Dame uh, you know, goes into the Big 12 next year. Then uh, Equinemius St. Brown will be part of the Big 12 rookie auction, not part of the field rookie auction. What happens to current players? Current players on current on current dynasty teams if their college division moves. So the only time the the uh, affiliation comes into factor is during the the, the startup and during the rookie auctions on okay. waivers. If you're the SEC, you can still pick up anyone from any conference or any NFL division, uh, and that's the same uh, case with trades. So you're. I, I thought about saying, okay, if you're the SEC, you can only have SEC players, but that would really result in a league with no trades, and that's no, right. no fun. Yeah. So basically, the only the only time the affiliation comes into place is during the startup and rookie auctions. Okay, yeah, that, that's what we ended up with, Nathan. I think I think you were in this league, uh, the boys, yeah, to, boys men, to men. Yeah, boys to men that that I ran. Um, Scott, I can't remember if we've talked about that one on here. That was a league I I created that was basically. Uh, old players versus young players, and six teams could only uh, roster, draft, start, whatever, um, players that were of a certain age or older, and then the other half of the league were uh, were on the, other op- on the opposite end with the young players. And what Nathan is describing is what happened. As an owner, no matter which side you're on, you only had five other teams to trade with. And we had a couple teams that ended up being really strong and there was just really no way to, to tear them down because there were limited trade options. Nathan, thinking about your league again, that seems like one, it seems like a a bear to manage. Is that, (laughs) um, I mean, how do you track, you know, who can, who can go after which player and what happens when, somebody messes up and bids on a player that they're not eligible to win. Well, I mean, this is pretty much every commissioner problem ever goes back to having good owners. And so the, the guys in this league were pretty good about it. There was a couple like miss bids to where uh, let's say, uh, you know, the big 12 bid on uh, T Y Hilton. And then uh, basically what we did was uh, let's say T Y Hilton had uh, was up to like 42 I would just get him back up to 42. And the only the only bummer for the person who had the lead on T.Y. Hilton was that Buck reset because there's really no way to fix that as a commissioner. But I, I did make sure that the number was back to what it was before the misbid. That's always a tricky thing for me because if, if the mispick was long enough ago, like let's say if the misbid was 20 minutes ago and let's say Ryan had $42, you missed on OBJ. And Nathan, you bid 43 on OBJ and 20 minutes have passed and Ryan is like, okay, I'm done. And he starts bidding on other players. I'm always like, well, I can't throw that back on Ryan because Ryan has already moved on from that, you know, that price he had and possibly that player. So do do you have a time limit? Like I'm going to ask this of both of you guys because it's always such a tricky situation for me. Do you have a time limit where you – uh, if the if the guy has not bid on another player, do you give it put it back on that guy, or if he has, do you put it just put the player back up at one dollar? How do you deal with that situation? Let's start with Ryan this time. Yeah, I, I usually just start it back at one dollar. I've had cases where 
the person has gotten outbid with an illegal bid and they didn't even want the player. Maybe they wanted to be outbid and pretty much I'm doing whatever I can or, or I'm trying to make the, the decision to help uh, that person, not the person who made the illegal bid. So I'll start, I'll start the auction over or I'll even give that, that owner who previously had the high bid the option. Uh, you know, nominate him again if you want. If you want to nominate somebody else, that's okay too. But it it, it falls on that person making the illegal bid. I, I think I've done it both ways. And I think at some point in the future, I might just hammer into my rules. No matter what the situation, he goes back up for a dollar possibly. I, I, may, I don't know if I even want to do that though. I don't know. Were you going to say something, Ryan? Or? No, I, I was just oh. going to say, I don't think there's any... I don't think there's any easy way. No, uh, it's it's just a messy situation. I, I really wish you could just undo one bid. Yeah, uh, that'd be that, great, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be that would be the answer. But uh, that's that's not an option, and probably won't be an option anytime soon. Can we have blind bidding blind bidding dollars available to be used as auction dollars? Because that'd be amazing too. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it on every episode until it happens. <laughs> Nathan, have you, you've had those situations. You're kind of just describing it. What's, what's your MO? What do you, what do you generally do? Yeah, what, what I do is pretty much I, I put it back to where it was. But if we're in a situation where they end up you know, allocating that money elsewhere and they don't have the money to, to make that bid again, then, I mean, I, I, like I said, I've never really been faced with that specific situation. But I would probably just go put it back at a dollar and then let everyone. And, it, and, and specifically where only two people can bid, it makes it a little bit more complicated. But in a league where, you know, all 12 players can bid on all, every player, all 12, you know, owners can bid on all, to, all the players, that makes it a little bit easier to just put it at a dollar. and It'll usually make it back up to that number eventually. Right, right. And yeah, it's, it is, it is tough because as you know, auctions have flow and a player going up at a dollar at the start of an auction as opposed to a player going up for a dollar on day four is a big difference. You know, if that player had been around for a few days and you're like, he was at $130, he was slowly bid up. And then you're like, all right, he's back to one on day four. It's, it's a completely different sit situation. It just sucks altogether. Yeah, so somewhat similar to that point. I, I've, I've, and this is really not a commission thing, but I've seen like an auction with like six minutes left and it's like at $60. And then someone upbids it to 61 and it resets the clock. And then by the end of that auction, the guy is going for like $96, like 30 more dollars than, than yep. he was going for with like two minutes left on the clock. So that's always a fun thing to watch as well in auctions. Yep. Yep. In my, in my earlier days, and I don't do this anymore because it's just, it's just a pain as commission. But in my earlier days when I was commissioning not a lot of leagues and just a, you know, a handful or whatever in an auction, if, uh, there was a misbid, I'd put it back up for that amount on that team and then email the entire league saying, here's, this is the time that that player will be officially won. <laughs> and I, I, did I, that, I did that in one of our KS auctions this year because there was, a, a, you know, with a 24 hour clock, there was maybe three hours left and somebody submitted an illegal bid. So I, I just didn't think with, with a relatively small amount of time left, I did not think that was fair to start that all over. Right. And that, you know, that really messes with somebody's auction as far as their budget and players they're targeting uh, on the site. We started the auction over, but I emailed, I did exactly what you're saying. I emailed yep. everybody and said, 
it says the end time is tomorrow at noon, but the actual end time is today at five o'clock. So yeah, <laughs> once that time passes, no bids on that player. And for, for the people listening, that's another way to go about it. That That's kind of where I was going is that, uh, that that's one way I used to deal with it when I had a handful of leagues. Now I don't have the time for that. You know, like that's just a commissioner nightmare for me. And I'm sure it was for Ryan for that one instance. It's just, it's, it's just annoying to deal, <laughs> to deal with because the time goes up and then you got to be like, okay, make sure no, this player's won. Make sure nobody bids on him for the next 21 hours. It's, it's just, it's just rough, but it is another way to do it, especially if, if you can handle the bandwidth. Nathan, one, one question we like to ask all of our guests on the show <laughs> is about their favorite rules and their least favorite rules in Dynasty League. So this, uh, these can be from leagues that you commish or just other leagues you play in. But give us a couple of your favorite and maybe your least favorite rules that you've, you've seen implemented in leagues. Yeah, we, we've talked about best ball. That's probably my, my favorite role to implement in leagues that I commish. Um, the, the other one would be to, I mean, this isn't like a specific role in itself, but just be different. You know, everyone sees the the one quarterback, you know, one like one, one position all across, four flexes. And, you know, while those can be fun leagues, no doubt, but, you know, being unique and having a unique role like the league with no name or kitchen sink with contracts and all those things, they attract owners. I mean, we're, we're never going to have a league where everyone stays every year. So having an, a league that's attractive because it's, you know, new and it's different, it's definitely something that, you know, I like to have in my leagues to where, you know, I don't want to be just another guy throwing out a dynasty league on, on Twitter when I need a replacement. I want to have a reason to be uh, for people to be attracted to my league. Um, but a more specific thing, I, I love alternative payouts. Uh, everyone has the first, second, third, gets this much, this much, this much. Uh, I like having uh, my my alternative payouts I usually use are I give a, a certain percentage for uh, the Heisman and Debbie leagues. I give a certain percentage for the NFL MVP and the offensive rookie of the year. And it's not to where it's, you know, taking a huge chunk out of the first and second place money, but it's enough to where, you know, you care about the uh, the uh, ceremony that happens uh, in between the championship game and the Super Bowl, and you care about the Heisman during the Heisman ceremony in Debbie League. So uh, any way you can get people to be more interested in, in, you know, things that are happening in the NFL or in college football outside of just, oh, how is my team doing? Am I in first, second, or third? And it's another thing that, you know, if, if you're in 10th place, you really have nothing to root for other than trying to get that 103. But, you know, if there are other factors going on that aren't just points, then, you know, there's some interest involved in the league at least. I, I love alternative payouts. I love progressive pots. I love rivalry games where there's money. And I love all that stuff, Nathan. So I'm glad that that's, that's something that you brought up and love. I, ju- I just have a question about the, the Heisman, or not the Heisman, the, uh, the rookie year thing. It's almost always a quarterback. I know that you know some people, some haven't like, like Eddie Lacy and stuff have won it, but it's usually a quarterback. Do you ever see like people like specifically going for that pot? Like they throw a little more at a quarterback they think will be <laughs> the rookie of the year. Has has that ever happened, or or it doesn't really affect the drafting? No, it's not a substantial amount of money, so I haven't seen anything like that. But I have. Uh, I think it was. It might have been. I think it was Jameis. I had Jameis and I was thinking, oh, he might be the rookie of the year. So do I really want to trade him or do I want to collect that 15 bucks at the end of the year? And so that that's kind of how that was playing out where I was just like, ah, maybe I should keep him. It but works. Yeah, it works in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not something that I value hugely, but it's, you know, it's just a fun way to put, uh, to have things put in. Do you have anything you hate? Yes, um, I do. And this Potential is two- points. 
Uh, no, uh, no, I do. I do hate potential points. <laughs> but these are my and uh, as a fantasy commissioner, especially one on Twitter, when everyone loves to complain, it's fun to be the Grinch to you know complain about things. And so I'll, I'll bring up the two things that uh, I'll I'll talk about here. The first, and you're gonna love me for this, Scotty, non-proxy. <laughs> I uh, I am not a fan of non-proxy auctions. For the listeners, proxy is kind of like eBay style. You put in a maximum bid that you're willing to bid, and it is yours until someone you know bids it up to the point where it goes over that number. So if you put in a proxy of $85, uh, the number on the screen will say $4, $10, $12. You keep bidding it up, but Nathan, who had $85 bid, still sits on the, you know, that the clock is winding down and he's got that until someone actually gets over 85 with non-proxy, the actual amount of the, the actual price of the player is on the screen at all times. And anytime someone makes a bid on that, the clock resets. So it, it's a grind. <laughs> non-proxy definitely takes a lot longer. More than anything else, they end up being, you know, just a, uh, an extender of time. And I know that, I mean, a lot of what we do in Dynasty with all these extra auctions and drafts and things, we're doing it to avoid boredom. But I also don't want my free agent auction to last, you know, 14 days. I, I want it to, you know, be a four or five day process. So with, with non-proxy, I, I don't like it because of the length of time that it usually takes. But the other thing that it, it does is that it rewards doing the last second $1 bid. Right. So... Uh, the, the one thing I was doing in the Capitalist Pigs Leagues is I was doing it. I was being that jerk that was letting the clock wind all the way down to like 20 minutes left and then bidding up one. Because when it's non-proxy, you know, okay, the, the high lead is 84. If I put 85 on, then I'm going to have the lead and the clock's going to reset. So the the way things played out with that is that it, it just extended the auction and that people would get frustrated. So they would think, oh, I've had the lead on, on Eddie Lacey for four straight days up until the last minute, and then he screwed me up all four times. Eventually, they're going to give up. So, I mean, and part of that's if, just... Even if they don't give up, it's possible they've been bidding on other players and then they their money is down and they're like, okay, I can no longer find it reasonable to allocate the money on this player I've been battling Nathan for. Right. And if, I mean, in a proxy league, you could do something like with Odo Beckham, let's say uh, you, you want to make sure that you have Odo Beckham. So you put $150 out of a $400 budget. So pretty much, you know, you're going to win Odo Beckham. He's, he's probably not going to get bid up to that 150 mark. And so you're, you know, you're going to have him within that 24 hour period. And you know that that, that money is going to be spent in that time and you can allocate your budget for the future elsewhere. So uh, I, I think that, you know, it, it's frustrating because you can't really make that big pounce bid without it actually hurting you. Because more often than not, if you're doing that, if you're saying, okay, $150 on Odell Beckham, you probably didn't need to actually do that. You probably only needed to go up to, you know, 102 or 103. Right. Ryan, proxy, non-proxy. I think you had another one, didn't you, Nathan? You had yeah, a I, I, do have, I do have one more. Okay, we'll, we'll give Ryan, we'll get your last thing and then we'll get out. Sure. I've, I've actually never used non-proxy and don't really have an interest in, in trying it um, for, for a lot of the reasons Nathan has said. So uh, I'll just agree with Nathan on that one and, and look forward to hearing his last least favorite rule. I will say this. It's, well, it's another thing that's all about the league because I used to run the tough leagues, which was were auction expert leagues in the mid-2000s. They loved it. And the Pigs 2 League loves it. Half of the Pigs 1 League 
hates it. I mean, it's it's all it's about you got to get the owner that wants proxy or non-proxy. I would say most people want proxy. So Nathan, what's the second thing? All right, my final grinds my gears of the night, and it, nice. it's one of those things. And we've ta- you've talked about it so many times on the show that if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't. And it's I don't like having an abundance amount of trade partners, and I don't like multiple copies, at least being involved in the same league where I can trade for. So uh, the, the reasons why I, I don't like this is that it can kind of be over- overwhelming it, when you traditionally when you look at your trade screen you can scroll down and you know in a 16 team league there's 15 and a normal 12 team league there's 11 possible trade partners and in that format i feel like it's just a lot easier to just go through guys okay i'm gonna offer a trade to this guy this guy and this guy and i mean to an extent you know having 28 27 possible trade partners 55 possible trade partners it's a little bit just daunting and maybe something just i i don't i prefer to avoid and as far as like multiple copies, it's exciting to have, okay, if there's one guy that has Odell Beckham and he's like, I'm not trading Odell Beckham no matter what you offer me, you could offer me your entire team and I'm not trading you Odell Beckham and you really want Odell Beckham. So then you can go and, you know, try the next owner. So that, that there's a positive to that. But there's also a negative to where you could be knee deep in a negotiation and you, that you can get to a certain point in the negotiation where, the guy who's trying to acquire a player is like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done with you. I'm going to go and talk to the other guy about the same player and see if I can get him, get him any cheaper. So I feel like there's going to be negotiations that can be had that could easily just stall because someone thinks that the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, in my experience, A, there's more trades, but B, I, I can definitely see what you're saying. Yeah, I can definitely see how it'd be overwhelming. It's interesting because in Pigs 2, there's four copies of every every player. And what started happening is people would be like, screw it, I'm not negotiating. I'm going to send the same offer to all four owners. And generally, one would accept. And part of the, the reason, part of the reason they're like, okay, I should probably accept this and not negotiate, like there's less negotiation. Part of the reason is because they're like, I know this is probably out there to the other owners too. So if I want it, I got to do it now because there, there's no room to negotiate because I'm dealing with three other potential owners. I will say that I will say one more thing, I guess. How do you feel about just two copies? Because I did these double trouble leagues last year and I get, I'm, I'm not even joking here. I get a tweet or an email almost daily if I'm going to do them again because people love them so much. How do you feel about just two two copies? Because that's not as overwhelming. No, it, it's not. Um, I, I think it's one of those things that like you, you're, I mean, I, I kind of contradict myself because I talk about, okay, you want to do so many different rules in different formats to where you're not doing the same league over and over again. But it's just not a format that I love where, you know, it's, it's so much different having two copies versus one that you can trade for. The, and the kitchen sink uh, one through four leagues you have you know two copies of every player, but they're in separate conferences where the, the, the trade negotiations will never touch each other. So, I mean, if, if we're going to do two copies, I prefer it to be in that format. But yes. I, I, I do understand the appeal of of the two copies in, in one league. Oh, yeah. Everything we've talked about tonight and everything we talk about pretty much every week are preference calls. I mean – there, there are people. There are people in pigs too that are listening, going, "I love having four copies," and there are people that you know. When I talk about rivalry games, they're like, "We thought it was boring in our league. We didn't even care when those rivalry games came up." You know, like certain rules I do. There are people that are like, "That's just dumb." 
you know? So it's, I have no problem with that. It's, it's all preference calls. Ryan. Uh, yeah, I think, I think so many of the things that we talk about on here are, are exactly that situation. And, uh, Again, I feel like an outsider tonight. I have not, I've not played in leagues with most of these rules that we've talked about tonight. I haven't, um, I haven't done multiple copies as far as everybody available across the entire league, uh, like like pigs is. So um, I can't speak to that personally. I can see Nathan's point that it, it would be overwhelming, and I think if you're in pigs one or pigs two and and that has kind of become your main league and that's that's really what you focus on then it's probably awesome and and scott some of the the situations you talk about would be a benefit as far as having four options instead of just one but if you play in several of the kitchen sink sink leagues and you play in both pigs leagues and then you play in some other some other dynasty leagues as well and you're just trying to divide your time across those and and that would i guess that would be the situation nathan's in then it it would just become overwhelming right yeah the, i think there are a lot of a lot of things like that a lot of a lot of truth to that i think there's definitely a lot of truth to that i think that pigs one is a little bit more enjoyable for me because of that overwhelming factor that nathan was talking about that just two copies is it's just easier <laughs> on my brain, I think. <laughs> so, all right. I think, uh, I think we've pretty much touched on everything. Nathan was a friggin' amazing guest. Well, thanks, thanks a ton for coming on, Nathan. It was really good to have you. I mean, if we were going to only choose one guest for the lifetime of our show, uh, I'm glad it was you because this was an awesome conversation. For Ryan, MC23 and for myself, Scottfish24, and for the best ball dynasty commissioner maven, <laughs> Nathan Powell, at NPowellFF. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great day. Might throw another one out next week. I don't know. We're crazy like that. Or two months. You have no idea. That was fun.